Podcom presents the A-Game Podcast, hosted by Jeff Culleton and Nadia Shiner. Today, we continue with part two of our four-part series on NFTs. In episode one, we covered the basics of what they are. Today, we talk about how they can be used in the marketing sphere. With us once again is G.I. Zaratsian, founder of Fandom. All right, everybody, welcome back to episode two of our NFT discussion here on the A-Game. What's new now and next in marketing uh, an adcom podcast. Once again, uh, as in episode one of our NFT discussion, uh, with me today is uh, G.I. Zaratsian, who is the founder and CEO of Fandom, uh, a sports NFT uh, platform that uh, is just doing some really interesting things, uh, and adcomer Nadia Shiner, uh, who, as we discovered in uh, episode one, is going to be our guinea pig for uh, how we're going to actually take NFTs and her NFT art, her art, into NFT to market. Um, you know, in episode one, I thought thought it was really important for us to lay foundation, do the groundwork, talk about, you know, what an NFT is. GI was nice enough to give us a really good rundown of not only you know the blocking and tackling, but some answer some of the questions around that most people have or most people ask us. Um, around you know the speculation, what do you do with it? What is it physically? How does it fit in um, to blockchain? Or as I, I usually when people say blockchain, I usually say you mean distributed ledgers, because people need sometimes to be take, shifted away from the idea of blockchain and Bitcoin as all of the same thing. Moving into episode two here, we want to talk about applications. This is where I think people attach to it more. Um, and, and specifically, it, it starts to filter more into our world of marketing and how these things, uh, and not if, how these things are going to be instrumental pieces of how we engage with customers in a new way moving forward. Fandom is around creating NFT experiences for brands, but it's specifically so far it's been sports related, correct? Yeah, we, we got our start in sports and we looked at it from the standpoint of, you know, where have we seen success and what's going to be important for, you know, a rights holder, for example. And we talked a little bit in the last episode about NBA Top Shot. So that, of course, was like the almost like the pioneer in the space of what can be done with a sports property. And you know, my business partner, Cody, he's got a background in sports. He's worked for a variety of different sports agencies, picked up the phone and called every sports property we knew. And we found one to bite and we worked with them to build their version right at the time of NBA Top Shot. So it's a kickboxing league. We said, we want to take your 30 years of combat highlights and condense that down to bite-sized clips that can be monetize and almost create like a fan engagement experience out of that for for people that can buy in, celebrate, you know, pick their best fighters and build their collection that way. Um, so that's really where we got the start in the space was, was beginning to build that product, um, which has been a lot of fun because it's you're building something from scratch and you're having to learn, you know, where where is the puck going and how do we build technology that can catch up to where it's going to go by the time we deploy it. Um, but we do a lot of fun stuff. We work with, um, we, we, we've, we've kind of rode this new wave of working with some celebrities to help them launch their NFT projects, um, which is really fun. So there's a lot of really creative minds out there of what you can do with an NFT and what kind of access or value you want to give back to someone that buys it, whether that be you know, rights to an upcoming movie or song or uh, rights to contribute to developing an animated series all by purchasing an NFT. 
and in a way, the NFT is almost like the the crowdfunded Kickstarter way of of building something. Um, but then it's on the creator of that project to then give back to the the purchaser of that. Like, what can I provide you that makes this more valuable? That gives you more utility, um, and ultimately, you know, gives you the sense that this thing can be worth more money one day. Who have you seen who's had success in that effort so far? Um, and you know, maybe an example of somebody who's had success promoting something that they are just promoting and somebody who's had success, you know, like this is really my passion project. I've created this and would love people to be associated with it. Snoop Dogg. Talk a little bit more specifically about what Snoop is actually doing. Yeah. So he's, he's using NFTs as a way to sort of pre-publish music, right? And, and, what that does is create a platform, right? Compare that to the traditional studio. The traditional studio that signs and, and label that signs an artist, they front the cash, the artist signs away a bunch of their rights to the, the label, and they've got this obligation to pump out X number of songs, X number of albums, and go on tour. It's been maligned forever. Every forever. artist hates it. And and these are deals you sign, and you might have it for X number of years. You can't get out of that, and, and the royalties on the songs that you made under that label are stuck there forever. So what Death Row Records and, and Snoop can do is they can modernize that dramatically. So they can not only create new content with their existing artists like Snoop, um, they can bring new artists into the fold and give them a better mechanism to sell and distribute music to people. And so imagine being a big fan of Snoop Dogg. If I want to buy this NFT of, you know, it's this album, I might have this incentivization where I'm one of the only people that get to listen to this music for a month before it gets released somewhere else. Um, or by purchasing this, I get, you know, access to a community or a club or a real life networking event that's going to be put on by by Snoop Dogg. So because I own this NFT, it's not just for the application of listening to music. Mm -hmm. It's for all the other incentivizations that Snoop and Death Row Records can provide to me. Yeah. And that's where you see kind of like the ecosystem. You ask like, well, what can you do with an NFT? Well, now you have one that you can listen to. And now you have one that can become your ticket to the game to the event to the whatever it may be and that's a really unique proposition within the space um so i think what he what he's doing is great and there's there's a lot of other celebrities that have sort of led projects um or been a part of it like like right now i think there's i can't remember the name of it there's a bunch of baseball players attached to a project i don't know how great it's going to work because no one's watching <laughs> baseball right now but and, <laughs> yeah if, if that ever takes off but talk about a tangent i could go down so there's there's Pretty definitely down. a lot of Go ahead, Nadia. I said, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> baseball. Ugh. We could talk all about it. But um, right, the baseball players, you know, they're, they're involved in a project, and that's pretty consistent across a lot of, whether it's sports or celebrities, they're attaching themselves in some way to, to various projects because, one, there's a way to make money. Yep. And two, maybe they have a unique skill set or any talent that can help really build on that project success. But then there's... There's applications that have gone wrong. Deer and Fox had a project that uh, I think it, it rolled out either December or January. So he generated about $1.5 million of revenue from it. And and these things happen fast, by the way. When when projects like this get sold, like it's like, hey, we've got 10,000 assets. They're 150 bucks a piece. 10,000 people can buy really fast if it's marketed well. And there's scarcity. And so scarcity. people yep. run towards it with speed. Because if it is 150 bucks is a mild investment, but since there's scarcity involved in it, people run at it 
creates the value yep. quickly, correct? Exactly. Yep. It's, it's a limited market. And then once that market's established, then people kind of determine the value of that. So De'Aaron Fox launched this thing. And I'm sure he obviously didn't, you know, create all the technology on the blockchain. He didn't probably do all the art. He had a team with him. And, you know, I, I don't know the full context of what they were planning to do on selling this. It might have been video game based or metaverse based or access to come to my games, whatever it may be. But they pulled the rug. And that's a, another term for you, Nadia, rug pools. It means that sucker's gone. And, you know, the website, the the Discord server, the Twitter handle, the wow. Instagram, all gone. Now, De'Aaron Fox gave a quote about it saying, you know, he's just been busy with basketball and they're going to do it all, put it all back up later. But it's like, yeah, you could have just said that without taking it all down. Yeah. So there's there's a His lot of challenges. His team pulled the rug. He, or he, or he okay. did. But the, basically, they it's, you know, you can't find that. Now, now the asset still exists, right? Because you bought an NFT. Those assets still exist on the blockchain. But the brand's gone. But the brand's gone. The website's gone. The, the, the ability for them to achieve their mission might be gone. And, and now, you know, how, how does that translate into his marketability, physical product, television, social moving forward? Is that something that a generation of rabid fans can't get past? It's potential. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I've read a lot of comments about this one. And, you know, De'Aaron Fox, I mean, he probably makes $30 million a year playing, just playing basketball, yep. right? He's a max contract guy. Why did he need an extra $1.5 million, right, to do this? Yep. Like, to just take from his fans and not give back. So I do think that tarnishes his reputation. I think he has an opportunity to salvage that, mm -hmm. like bring this thing back. Like those NFTs are still out there. And he still owns the rights to like the concept, so you can bring it back at some point in time, and that can help save face in the market. But yeah, it's crypto people won't like that because they're going to be a lot less trustworthy of of celebrities or actors or, or athletes getting involved because they don't they don't have they have like nothing to lose when it comes to that, right? Well, and this is a lot of people uh, you, when we talk about why these things start with celebrity. And the answer is usually because of audience. Audience, yep. And audience size. You know, for us, audience is paramount in everything we do. And when you're bleeding edge on things like this, and it is, you know, a celebrity looks and says, ooh, I, you know what, I have access. I have access to this number of people, and I can monetize those number of people. I can't do that. It's hard for the every person. You have like 224 followers on Twitter, right? I mean... Oh. And you the, do? But, but rabid, <laughs> rabid engagement, engagement rate. super high engagement rate, <laughs> off the chart. Um, but they, more of a LinkedIn guy. Um, but they, you know, they have the ability to test this out, yep. but they also have a disproportionate amount of risk if it goes poorly. Sure. And so, you know, that brand is fragile. And so a celebrity looks at something like this and says, well, I have the ability, but should I? And so I think that's one of the places that people are really interested right now is, you know, you know, physically, what do you have to do? What's the scaffolding? What's the team? What's the... And so that's when we, when we start to look inward at our business. That's why I think our conversations so far have been so interesting and why so many of our C-level marketers come to us and say, what do you think this is? So like, talk to me about applicant, like why is this useful for a marketer? Not just like, hey, I want to own a digital asset that may raise in value exponentially. Like there's really more to it. 
There's a ton to it. From a, from a marketer's perspective, I mean, first off, there's so many eyeballs on the space. Yeah. So eyeballs equal audience, right? This is advertising, like in a really unique application. And imagine creating an ad, selling that ad for money potentially, and then having that ad be distributed to as many people as possible and it costs you no additional ad spend. Yeah. That's an NFT, right? That's me creating a McDonald's McRib NFT, which they did. <laughs> and they, I, mean, I think they had five or 10 of these things they gave them away, right? But but it drove a ton of mass engagement yeah. on Twitter when they announced this thing. And they knew to go to Twitter because that's where a lot of the crypto and NFT crowd is. And they gave away these McRib NFTs, which is basically just a 3D rotating uh, McRib sandwich. That's advertising. And they gave it away to fr for free. And people have probably since sold that to each other because there's only five or 10 in existence. Mm -hmm. You can put a value on that. So what does McDonald's get from doing that besides? Publicity. Okay. Maybe a new audience of crypto enthusiasts that spend a lot of time at their computer and then need to go to McDonald's in between to eat some food, mm -hmm. which is actually a really good target segment for them. A lot of this, these these people that you know are buying crypto NFTs every day. They're they're at their computer. They got to eat too. But you know, in, in in all of the paid media and strategy work we do, this is back to the gold example from episode one. This is not different from what we do right now to gain awareness. The gaining of awareness through partnership or through you know putting a bunch of money behind something to put a uh, you know uh, drop a big stone in the water putting your name on an arena, advertising inside an arena, I inherently cannot put ROI to that. That, sure. is, that is a, how many eyes are in Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, 19,692, on a night where the place is completely full? What do those eyes mean to my brand? There are massive formulas that are nonsensical that go towards what that value is for a franchise. Mm -hmm. But fact of the matter is, you know, I can't look at that and say, you know, th there's a one-to-one -to, -one to it. This is the exact same thing, just in a different way. And if you look at in-stadium stuff, that's where I, I, one of the applications I think is really cool. Is, and I think the Cavs have been really forward-looking on a lot of this. You know, they already have their NFT locker where you know, you, you go to a game in the past and you get a, you know, fuzzy Cavs ball or a Snuggie, or we actually did that promotion a bunch of years back, um, <laughs> or whatever the case is. And those things end up under your couch or gone or whatever the case is. And instead, let's just give you a digital asset when you download our locker. But what do you get when I have raised my hand and said, oh, yeah, I'll download this locker and I will take your digital asset. I get your device ID. I get your first party relationship. And this is this is the sauce. The about 5 years ago when privacy became a massive issue, Google other search engines started saying third party data, things we buy as a marketer from other places are no longer going to be valid to us. It's a security concern. The brand needs to do a better job of creating a one to one relationship. What that meant for a brand is I can't go out and just reach 5 million people with my money. I have to do a better job of creating a first party relationship. Enter yep. NFTs. The other part about that too, like it's not just, you know, I download this Cavs app and now I've got this locker thing. It's at, from a brand's perspective, 
addressable audience is always important, right? Yep. Describe that. If I send you an NFT, so if I'm a brand that I create an NFT and I want to use it as like a promotional advertising opportunity, but it's catchy enough that people actually want it, like Pepsi. Pepsi did the mic drop. Thing. Yep. And Budweiser's done a few. And from me to you is a transaction. So I see the wallet address of your digital wallet that now has my NFT in it, me being the brand, you being the consumer. What can I do from there? I can send you other NFTs directly to you, which is direct marketing. It's like direct mail on steroids for digital. This is the one-to-one that we've, you know, you've, you've wanted access to for a long Now, granted, you have to create, you will continue have to, having to create something of increased value. Somebody is going to have to be prompted to download your wallet or your locker, whatever the case, and receive things from you. That bar is just going to get higher. Right now, people are curious and they're going to go, oh, yeah, I'll download it to see. You know, we had the All Star game here last week and you could buy a piece, uh, an NFT piece of uh, the, the Cavs court for $20.22. And okay, like, sure, I'll try. That bar, and that's a pretty, you know, pretty low bar. That bar is going to get higher and higher over time as people want quality and to you to deliver value to them. But in the space we're at right now, people want to people want to dip their toe. They want to get access. They want to try and figure out what it is. What did you get for the twenty twenty two? So you get an NFT. You get a digital asset mm -hmm. of the Cavs floor, of which they only sold so many from the NBA All Star game. So it's a piece of the floor, you access it. The floor, the literal floor. No, not the oh. literal floor, an NFT of the floor. Got it. I have nowhere to put another floor. Mm -hmm. um, but what's there the, was- What's the floor price on that right now? Uh, God, I mean, look. <clears throat> you like the pun? Yeah. <laughs> it went right over my head, because I'm dying. What's the floor price on the floor of the NFT? Mm -hmm. Get yes, it. Yep. I was there, I followed. She Tracking, was yeah. Way smarter than I am. But you accessed it from a QR code, that was on street level signage all around the city. So you have now engaged with them in multiple ways, shapes, and forms through a device ID. Now, location is potentially something that they can serve you up when you're around, I almost called it the queue, when you're around Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, around, and they can go and sell partnership to the brands that they are associated with. Like, hey, man, we have this many people that we can drop a push notification to which is going to show up directly on your phone based off the geo on their phone because I have their unique device ID from when they signed up for our locker or when they bought a piece of the floor. And at some point, do you think it'll be regulated though? Just the, the same way now you can opt out to not not be, you know, have your information passed on to... You want to talk about regulation now, Nadia. <clears throat> we could talk all day because that is a topic that uh, there's a million layers to it. But like, to, to stick with this point, we're not talking about regulating crypto, regulating NFTs and all that, but when it comes to- Your personal information. Your personal information, mm -hmm. it's decentralized and it's anonymous in, in some capacities, right? So, you know, the, the, the Cavs locker example may be a little different because you're signing up with your name, your yep. email, and, and they're creating a wallet for you. Mm -hmm. But when you create, we talked about MetaMask before, when you create a MetaMask account, and if anyone's listening to this and goes and does that, it doesn't ask you for your name anywhere. Like you can put your email so you get updates from them, but like it's not attaching it to your address. You just basically have this like 26 character like like code that is your wallet address. 
So no one knows that that's Nadia unless you like, attach yourself to it, you know, in, in public places like on Twitter. So it is anonymous um, and it's also governed by you. So there's no entity that's saying what can and can't go through with it. And there's no entity that's going to tell the blockchain what can and can't be sent through it. So theoretically, it's very difficult to regulate and govern that. Now, you guys probably do this all day, every day. It's brand reputation risk, right? If I'm a brand and I'm going to spam your inbox on email or anywhere else, like clearly there's going to be a, an attrition rate of yeah, people you're going to get nuked. Right? Yeah. And same thing with with NFTs. If if I keep sending, if I'm if I'm McDonald's, and you know Jeff, you bought my McRib NFT. Delicious. Am I really going to send you like an advertisement every day to get 99 cent coffee and uh, a McMuffin or something? Like, no, you're going to get tired of it. It's going to get diluted and it's not going to be successful. You'll end up deleting it. Yeah. And the other part is it still costs me money to send that. And so I pay gas, which is basically a blockchain transaction fee to send something from point A to point B. So it can get expensive for a brand if you're going to send mass inventory of these out there. But regulation, yeah, I, I don't know how you would. And I, that's my answer for a lot of regulation in this space when it comes to tax, when it comes to profit people make, like unless it's self-reported by the individual, I don't know how the government is going to be able to regulate a lot of the stuff. And so inherently is one of the problems with this is it will not, so the answer is yes and definitively no. Mm -hmm. Like there, regulation will happen around it in some way. You know, email, you know, we have opt-in, you know, uh, you know, with, with web-based trafficking, you've got um, GDPR that has come into play. California has its own legislation. The United States has talked about wide-scale regulation around cookies. Um, so it's going to take some time. Um, you know, we're, we're in, we're in like a wild, wild west state right now. Um, you know, people ask like, oh, it's, you know, it's the beginning of websites. It's the beginning of social media. It very much is those things. If you look at the building blocks of what an NFT is now, so websites, social media, all of those things, it's just the next building block on top of those to create a more immersive experience. There's going to be people who are shoot from the hip and do it poorly. There's going to be a lot of those, and I think to your point in just the you know the the speculative market of it now, and you know Gary Vee and all these people who say you know ninety five percent of these kind of half baked ones are just not going to be around, and that's true because people are gonna people are gonna throw a little bit of time at it. Um, they might get a little bit of adoption, but they'll never do it with consistency. Consistency and the you know the the ultimate. You, putting the consumer and your audience and providing them with something of value first, those people will win. So speaking of applications, I feel like we've been using a lot of examples that are companies that are already pretty well known. They already have a lot of awareness. I mean, what about somebody comes to you, Jeff, and they're not well known? They ask you, how do I want to, or GI, how do, how do I use yeah, NFTs? I'm, pu I'm punting hard yeah. on no, no, this no, one. No, no, okay. This, this, you'll like this one. What if I was a brewery, like a small microbrew, mm -hmm. and I want to use NFTs Tell as me a, more. Yeah, I want to use <laughs> NFTs to get to my audience, For right? For example. So, but, there's, but this is like, this is actually happening. There's, there's small microbrews, and, you know, they're everywhere now because it's 2022 and everyone wants to start a beer brand. But, um, you know, I've got a bit of an audience. I've got some distributions. I've got some sales, but I want to scale. I want to get a wider audience. I want to create something more intimate and experiential with my brand. 
So I could launch an NFT project and it could be anything. It could be cool pictures of my cans. It could be crazy 3D art, whatever's kind of topical in the space and whatever speaks about my brand. That's just the image that I'm trying to project. But with that NFT, can you get, you know, the monthly beer subscription as part of it? Like we'll ship you the sampler pack once per month through Drizzly with a partnership that we could establish, or you get to come to our tasting room every month. Whatever sort of incentivizations and membership perks you want to create, you can package that into an NFT. The value of that to the consumers, I now have access to do these things, and I can also transfer it, I can sell it. Like today, if you win a, a, a prize package or whatever, like you typically can't transfer that to somebody else to go take advantage of those incentives because it just doesn't work that way. With you blockchain. go on Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, go on Wheel of Fortune. You get the vacation to Punta Cana or wherever that's valued at $13,000. Um, you can't transfer that, right? You probably also have to pay like $4,000 tax yeah. to go there. But with with like a new, like small brand, like it's, you know, one, how can we, you know, reach an audience? Number one, do we have an audience that can reach and can sell this NFT? Number two, can we pick up a new audience because we're dipping our toes into the NFT space? One thing I'll say about that is you got to balance that because there are people on the other end of the fence that say, oh man, you're doing an NFT project. I hate crypto. And now I hate you, right? Because there's literally- It's you, extreme. That's so dramatic. It's very dramatic. Go, put a sound effect over that. Go look at what Adidas did. Go look at what Adidas did in, the, in, in within NFTs. And I'll, I'll briefly describe it because they're a big brand. I want to go back to small brands, but Adidas is- all in on the metaverse. They acquired a board ape. They created partnerships with a few of these like metaverse sort of NFT brands. They're selling, you know, digital access now because they have this whole digital footprint around we're a lifestyle brand. You're going to wear us in the metaverse just like you do in the real world. And when they kind of did this and they made a lot of money already doing this, some of their fans, you can go look at the comments on social media are like, I'm done with Adidas. I'm going back to Reebok or whatever it may be because they don't agree with NFTs or there's something philosophical about NFTs that they don't like and now they're going to drop that brand. So there's a little bit of brand reputational risk when you decide that you want to go after this NFT audience. But I will say, like on the flip side with with uh, with Adidas, they got a lot of new audience and eyeballs yep. because people in the Web3 space were like, that's my brand now. I will wear you. And like it's it's growing in that direction. So there's a lot of opportunity for brands to kind of pick and choose their battle when it comes to like how we do this, but it starts with audience. Can you attract a new audience? And then ultimately what's that value incentive? If you're a small brand, you've got to create extra value. And you have to decide, is this an NFT that you want to sell and transact on, or do you want to give it away to bring people in? And I think you can make a case for both. If you're providing a monthly subscription club, you know, where you're giving them beer every month and it's half off or whatever, you might want to charge for that a little bit to offset your losses. Mm -hmm. But it becomes a new mechanism to create community, becomes a new mechanism to create commerce. Um, and it's it's where I see a lot of the adoption going. Like, I agree with you, Jeff, like there's a bubble and the bubble's going to burst on some of these things. But when it comes to loyalty and like transforming the way that marketers think about loyalty and how that actually operates, that's the biggest difference from web two to web three. Web two, you're the product. You're the you're the person on Facebook that Facebook is monetizing. That's why it's free. Web three, how can I monetize myself? How can I use myself to earn? And if I shop at Kohl's, I use this example a lot because my mother-in-law shops at Kohl's and she gets Kohl's cash. What's Kohl's cash? It's a 
discount, right? It's basically a coupon, but she keeps shopping. She keeps earning it. She gets to spend it. She can't transfer it to me. She can't do can't anything. Can't take your Kohl's cash to Target. Can't get, yeah, exactly. You can't transfer out of Kohl's cash in, into dollars, right? It's just there and it's basically a coupon. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about with Web3 is it transforms that entire landscape into when you spend, when you contribute on promoting us on social, whatever it may be, every which way that you can interact with our brand, you can earn redemption rewards in whatever capacity that we dream up that becomes now currency that you can choose to spend with us or you can cash out for dollars because that's what crypto is at the end of the day. It's on and off ramps of getting in and out of, of crypto. So what what I see is like really impactful. Like there's a lot of a lot of really easy things to do for brands just from an advertising standpoint. You can use NFTs to drive awareness on something and it may not cost you as much as a as a Super Bowl ad. You might have an ability to make money off of it. But then there's integrated business model. And when it comes to like CRM and loyalty, imagine how that can shift with Web3 technology. And that's where I see a, a massive industry opportunity on the B2B side. Yeah. So I am going to, this is just a really neat conversation. I am based off of the, the hook of what Adidas is doing in the metaverse, which I think is amazing. I'm going to put a pin in episode two and in episode three, we will transition over and talk about how brands are creating their digital presence, but or digital presence in the metaverse, excuse me. But I, I, as one of the, th- the things that I think is so cool about this conversation is the more we talk about new ways to engage and new ways to bring people into our brands, the more we keep talking about things that have been true forever is, do I know my audience? Am I speaking with a brand voice and a brand identity that I tr- that I can own? that I am, that I live out every day? Do people trust it is? Do I live it all the time? And therefore, is it something that somebody wants to attach to? And providing something of value. If a brand is capable of providing something of value with consistency, this is just the new way of doing it. And, you know, it's it's going to be really cool. I always think these these inflection points, these wild, wild west points where most people are, are nervous are the coolest. Because you can try stuff, you can fail at stuff, you can do kind of rapid fire. Um, but you know, this this is certainly going to be a changing space. So, um, episode two, Nadia Shiner, uh, GI Zaratzian, thank you guys so much. GI is the the founder and the CEO of uh, Fandom. If you haven't checked him out, is it Fandom.com? Yep, with an E because F A N D E M because of course. Dot com. Go and check out some of the work they've done. Uh, we will be following this up shortly with episode three, where we're going to get into how brands are going to move into the metaverse uh, and using this technology to help them move into the metaverse. And then uh, episode four, we'll, we'll start working on Nadia's uh, Nadia's NFT brand of her own. So thank Exciting. you both. Yeah, it's cool stuff. Thank you both uh, for being here. Super fun conversation. We look forward to the next one shortly. You've been listening to The A-Game, at AdCom production. AdCom is a marketing partner in Cleveland, Ohio, creating measurable returns for our clients. Like, follow, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and find us on your favorite social networks. Oh!